You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 111. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week, we start by talking the M&A activity or lack thereof over the past six months of the year and what this could mean for the balance of 2020 and into 2021. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we look at an interesting renewable energy finance company, the company RE Royalties Limited, symbol RE on the TSX Venture, which acquires revenue-based royalties from renewable energy generation facilities by providing a non-dilutive financing solution to renewable energy generation and development companies. Our star of the week is Westport Fuel Systems, Inc., symbol WPRT on the TSX, a transportation technology company which engages in the engineering, manufacturing, and supply of alternative fuel systems and components. The stock was hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic earlier this year, but is up over 37% in the past five trading days. We let you know what is driving the rebound. So let's get into the show, guys. Welcoming my co-hosts, Brennan and Aaron. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Ryan? Good. Doing very well. Uh, it's getting hot around here, which is uh, nice to see. Enjoying some of the weather. But uh, definitely, Aaron, is uh, he's not leaving his house. He's been hard at work putting together his live dividend growth stock-focused webinar. That is tomorrow. Aaron, are you excited? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm always excited about uh, about doing these seminars. It's a great opportunity to. You sound thrilled. I'm I'm extremely thrilled. Obviously, <laughs> uh, head down into into the content and making sure that it's as uh, that it's as you know value added as possible for people. But um, this is this is particularly exciting because, of course, it it is focused just on dividend growth stock investing, which is um, which is my area of focus for the most part. And uh, yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to take we're going to do something a little bit different um, compared to what we've done in past seminars. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down the different sectors on the Canadian market, look at what types of dividends uh, each sector is providing, what kind of opportunities there are on a sector basis, and just discussing what areas, like what industries work well for the dividend model and which ones don't. Um, so I think that drilling down into it like that is going to be helpful for people. It, it's going to give people an idea of how we approach um, doing our research and finding good opportunities. And then, of course, um, at the end, we have three current recommendations um, that we're going to provide to the to the listeners. So this is going to help people start to build get people started building their their own dividend growth stock portfolio and these are companies from one from each of our three risk categories conservative moderate and aggressive so it gives you a, a good 
good range of different types of companies that you can look at. Yeah, and I think you breaking down uh, into what sectors are most suited to pay dividends and grow them over time and which you should avoid is very valuable because I, I think a lot of people look at a dividend and they see that, you know, has almost like an interest rate payment going forward. You're guaranteed that going forward. In some businesses, I mean, none of them you can look at it as a guarantee, but in some businesses that are far more, they lend themselves better to a model of dividends and dividend growth over time, where there as there are other industries which do not lend themselves well to this. And yet we see dividends being paid in those segments. Uh, time and time again. And what crushes returns over time is companies cutting their dividends or removing their dividends. So if you can avoid the segments which have uh, historically had poor records at sustaining or growing their dividends and in fact have cut or you know completely gotten rid of their dividends over time, it's going to serve your portfolio well over the long term. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about. And Aaron will break that down for you. So I encourage anybody who wants to look at the markets better uh, that way and learn a little bit about where you should be investing and where you should avoid taking that seminar. It's tomorrow, seven o'clock Pacific. Now let's uh, let's get into. Uh, we talked about talking about some merger M and A activity uh, in 2020. Um, it shouldn't be much of a surprise to uh, anybody who's listening out there that uh, M and A activity has been significantly down for the first half of this year. Uh, we've seen a shutdown globally, so it's difficult to get out there and visit locations. Uh, there was a time where it was difficult to secure financings. Uh, some of that is breaking up now, but there is a significant drop in M&A activity. There was, it was coming out to a decent start to the year, but the year was still down uh, even ahead of the COVID-19 crisis to start the year. So, I mean, there could be a number of factors at play there. I mean, one thing in in my opinion is just the companies that are you're looking to acquire have been more expensive. At the start of the year, markets were at you know, all-time highs in some segments. So, well, that is good for the companies who might be issuing shares to fund acquisitions. Those same companies looking to acquire are being asked to pay high premiums in some cases. So, you know, there's a a bit of a trade-off there. Now, the question becomes, uh, in the second half of the year, or even if we look a little bit further out into 2021, is there going to be some pent-up demand We've seen some companies raising capital as of late. Even our coverage universe, uh, Sangoma and Zillagist, to name two, just in the past week, week <laughs> raising uh, uh, you know seventy million and forty million, adding to their cash balances. In those cases, uh, having powder dry there to make the acquisitions. Potentially, they have acquisitions coming in the near future, or just adding to it. If there is uncertainty. Uh, when you've seen prices come up, it may be a good time to shore up your balance sheet and make some opportune purchases if there is another leg or another leg down or something like that in the market. Any thoughts, you guys, on the... Uh, I mean, of course, you know why the lack of M&A has occurred, but could we see some uh, increased M&A activity as we further see the world open up again? Well, certainly, I think that that certainly uns- from the lows is a major issue. So if we if we alleviate some of the uncertainty, then um, then 
I would expect activity to pick up. I think also for some companies, raising capital could be an issue, although valuations, as you said, are, are not low. Um, so, you know, certainly companies should be able to raise at a decent valuation or, or some of the, the higher quality companies anyways. But essentially what we have is we have a situation where valuations are high, but uncertainty is also high. And I think that there are, like, I know of companies in, in our dividend research and also our U.S. growth stock research as well that are sitting there. They have the cash. Typically, they make acquisitions. They haven't really been um, active over the last quarter, but I'm sure they're just waiting for, for the right time. Yeah, I mean, if you look at a serial acquirer like the Boyd Group, for example, um, you know, they raised some cash, but they're just sitting on it right now. And, uh, you know, we expect... I mean, it's been difficult to get out there and and, and view. You got to view that auto body shop. You got to talk to the person, shake the hand. Uh, you know, these are how their acquisitions were done in the past. So all that has come on pause. Um, you know, you got a management team in Canada. Part of their management teams in the U.S. Uh, you can't really cross borders, so it's hard to sign those deals. There's likely some talking going on, and there's likely some opportunities. As you know, in some of the segments. You know, in auto body repair, for example, you've seen volumes down significantly. At one point, you know, they were cut by more than 50%. Uh, as you see that, uh, there's probably some opportunities. Some of those companies, the smaller mom and pop businesses can be cash strapped, but it's hard to complete those acquisitions. So there's some areas where there's going to be pent up demand. I mean, Eng House is another serial acquirer, all out of cash flow. Uh, had their biggest year in terms of acquisitions last year, really made some prescient acquisitions in two of the segments, telemedicine and uh, like video conferencing, essentially in the healthcare segment that have really, I mean, I doubt they predicted this scenario. I know they didn't, but um, you know, it's really served them well this year. But again, this year uh, they made an acquisition to start the year, but then completely silent from then on. You just can't get out there and do the due diligence necessary to make a full acquisition. So we'd expect at some point there is going to be some pent up demand and some uh, acquisitions that could be made. And many of these companies are generating cash, not employing when they would. So there's going to be that pent up demand. Perhaps, you know, some of them see prices that will be too high near term. And then maybe it goes into 2021. If there is a downturn, they take advantage then. But we'd certainly rather be on the side of companies with a lot of cash in the bank and available to make those acquisitions or just hoard it until the prices came to the range that they believe would be accretive over the long term. So certainly continuing on that theme of looking at cash-producing businesses, but companies that have great balance sheets as well, I think, and, and that's going to serve you well uh, in any M&A-type environment, really. One thing that we haven't seen this year is we typically, uh, because we own what we'd say are fairly solid businesses, we haven't seen an acquisition from a company in our coverage this year, which is, f- quite frankly, very rare. Uh, typically when you're holding cash rich businesses that generate cash flow that trade at relatively reasonable valuations, something gets bought, like private equity uh, buys out something. So perhaps in the second half of the year we see that or into 2021, but it's something to look look to uh, when we start to see some acquisitions out there and that opens up. So if we could go to our Your Stock, Our Take. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock. In a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. We got a question here on RE Royalties from Naveed. 
uh, via YouTube. He said, I would love your take on RE royalties, love the business model, and they have some good royalty streams already set up. They have a good balance sheet and lots of tailwinds. So RE royalties, symbol RE on the TSX Venture, currently trades at a dollar, about a $32 million market cap. It's paid a dividend in uh, about a cent per quarter, roughly yielding you know 4% in that range. What does the company do? Uh, RE acquires revenue-based royalties from renewable energy generation facilities by providing non-dilutive financing solutions to renewable energy generation and development companies. They currently own 86 royalties on solar, wind, and hydro projects in Canada, Europe, and the United States. Now, management believes they have identified an underserviced segment of the renewable energy capitals market that lies between traditional debt and equity financing. For many small and medium-sized renewable energy companies, a royalty or revenue-based royalty financing has many advantages with respect to flexibility, cost, and contractual terms. Now, we've seen traditional royalty-based financing being used extensively in North America in the resource sector, um, consumer service, industrial manufacturing, healthcare, music, food ser- sectors, all of those segments. So l- this is a little bit of a departure from that, but with the long life of the assets, it kind of it does make somewhat sense. Uh, now let's look at the Q1 financials of this company. We saw total revenues. Now it's a small base of revenues here, but it went up about fifty-seven percent, up to four hundred forty-two thousand. Uh, the company has recorded net income in two of the last five fiscal quarters. Uh, there is significant seasonal variance or variation in its royalty projects, likely because uh, in renewable generation, for example, in wind, you might have a windy season that uh, produces more power and other seasons where it's less windy, so you have less power production. So let's look at the valuations. You know, there is good growth in this business, but if we look at EVD EBITDA, it's over 250 times right now. Um, their EBITDA just over the last, on an adjusted basis over the last uh, 12 months is just in the range of 125,000, so low. Their total revenues for 2019 were roughly 1.4 million. Again, so this is a small business, but we have seen... A couple royal. As a cautionary note, we have seen a couple of royalty businesses essentially blow up in the past. Uh, they were lending to businesses that did not hold longer life assets or utility type assets. So, in that from that perspective, uh, the type of assets that RE holds may lend themselves to this model more. Uh, however, they do see higher quality assets being able to raise capital at, um, we do see higher quality assets in this segment being able to raise capital at decent rates in the alternative power and green power market. So the question for me would be whether RE is choosing from a pool of lower quality assets. I guess it could be argued that they are partnering with just smaller assets and the potential could be smaller and higher quality. So, you know, there's that argument too. To grow, these type of businesses typically have to issue shares. We have already seen RE double its share count over the past year. This is something we would monitor. Uh, It can be a tightrope that is difficult to walk. The practice of issuing shares and being able to generate significant enough return on the capital raise to create incremental cash flow per share. This is what ultimately will drive the share price. Again, over the last year we said revenue is 1.4 million the company if they're going to pay that one cent in dividend each quarter 
it will pay out over 1.25 million in dividends in 2020. Uh, revenue will have to keep that upward trajectory that we saw in Q1 for that to be possible. The business is certainly interesting and in a segment of the market we see and like long-term and see good potential in, but we are monitoring it now and we will be looking at it in our upcoming Canadian Alternative Energy and Green Energy Special Report. At present, for us, it would just be a monitor. Yeah, certainly. And and I like the idea of, just from a very general perspective, the idea of uh, investing in renewable energy projects and getting a, a royalty one of the one of the concerns that I would have on a company like this is you mentioned eighty six different royalties, and they're only generating about one point four million in revenue. I don't know if if all of those um, if some of those royalties are newer, so that they they could be generating additional revenue going forward. But I mean that's that's a very small amount of revenue per royalty. Um, and one of the one of the challenges with some of these royalty streamers is that you know you, you need to know. The, the businesses that they're invested in, the asset the assets that they're invested in. And when you're so spread out amongst almost 100 different investments, it's extremely difficult for an analyst to really dig deep into each one of those individual royalty streams and determine how, how quality they are. Because um, you really need to know that. You need to know who the partner is, um, how old the assets are, are they contracted, where are they located geographically, and what is the political risk. So that would be a concern. It, it would make it difficult to analyze the company. But I mean, even before that, um, as you mentioned, Ryan, they are they are over distributing right now. So they they I, I've noticed that about a four percent yield on the stock. I think you said dividend payments of one point two five million um, per year. Yet they're only generating EBITDA of, of less than two hundred thousand. So it's um. It's it's that would be another issue from a, from a perspective of a dividend analyst. We always tell people don't chase the yield, don't invest in companies that are over distributing. A lot of companies like to start off with the big yield, with the intention that they can one day grow into it. Uh, but we think that that's 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 putting the the horse or the carriage before the horse. Um, we really think that you know you you need to start off with a prudent strategy. Don't distribute more capital than you're taking in. You should actually be distributing less and then just allow your, your dividend to grow over time as your cash flow grows. So not something that we would be advising people to to invest in right now. I think Ryan brought up a pretty pretty good point too, just saying how green energy valuations are pretty high. So, you know, right now, what green energy company will really want to, you know, go with a royalty when they can possibly issue more shares uh, and and get a you know, just a better way of financing their company. Uh, like, would you guys not uh, agree with that? Or is that not what you were kind of touching on? Yeah, I mean, and uh, that, that's the question I kind of posed. It does seem like they're going in a, like in a size of the market where many of these companies aren't public that they're doing the royalties to, and they were probably too small for the, for, to be public at present or, you know, have a smaller range of projects. So, you know, they're finding a sweet spot where they can, uh, where a royalty becomes more attractive for these companies. Hopefully, what you know, what we're looking at is high quality assets um, that are just small, too small to essentially be in a public or vended into a public asset at this point. So, you know, it can, it, if they can find that sweet spot in there and grow that over time, it, it can make sense. When we've seen royalty or streaming or royalty type companies, 
blow up in the past, um, you know, they're not investing in long life type assets or utility type assets. You know, if that's indeed the case here, this type of model potentially makes more sense with these type of longer life assets. So we will, you know, it is interesting. There is cash flow coming in. Um, it is volatile, but, and I do believe like out of the 86 assets that they quoted, it is only a small portion of those that have come online and are actually producing cash flow right now. So, uh, as that, as the new assets come online, like you see with a mining streaming company or royalty company, uh, they may have, you know, options on 80 properties or something like that. And only five of them are actually producing right now. So in this case, we would hope uh, for REs over time, more of those assets would come online and start producing cash flow for the business as they are brought uh, into production. So um, if we see that, you know, it may be a company that we continue to look at going forward. We'll certainly be doing a little more due diligence on the business over the next uh, six to 12 months. So now let's move on to our star of the week. From our Stars and Dogs segment, it's time for this week's Star. Star. And that is on Westport Fuel Systems, Inc., symbol WPRT on the TSX. Brennan, that's yours. Thank you. So, yes, uh, another uh, green energy company here. Uh, So uh, it's currently trading at a price of $2.44 and has a market cap of $278 million. Now, what does the company do? Westport Fuel System Inc. is a transportation technology company which engages in the engineering, manufacturing, and supply of alternative fuel systems and components. Its fuel systems and components are for clean, low-carbon fuels such as natural gas, renewable natural gas, propane, and hydrogen, uh, and they're uh, providing these to the global automotive industry. Now, the star performance, uh, the stock was hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic earlier this year, but is up over 37% in the past five trading days. The COVID-19 pandemic has impacted Westport fuel systems quite drastically, and this is just due to uh, both the disruption of production and end customer demand. Uh, Its three primary production facilities in northern Italy were shut down from March through May, and the company does expect weaker customer demand for the remainder of 2020. But in recent news, the stock is being driven by a few news releases, where uh, on July 24th, the company announced that they secured a a 15 million euro credit facility to improve its liquidity during the COVID-19 pandemic for working capital, payroll, and potential investments. Uh, and also the, the prior day uh, on July 23rd, the company announced that they had received a uh, US $10 million credit facility from Export Development Canada uh, to additionally help with their liquidity needs. So looking at the company's financial results, this is for Q1 2020, and this is all in US dollars. Revenue decreased 8% to 67.2 million compared to the same quarter last year, caused by negative impacts uh, of COVID-19 on commercial activity, uh, particularly in Europe, management said. Adjusted EBITDA decreased to negative 3.6 million from a gain of 7.3 million for the same quarter last year, uh, and this change was primarily due to a large warranty charge. Basic earnings per share was a loss of 11 cents compared to a loss of 2 cents for Q1 2019. And just looking at some 12 trailing month figures here, 12 trailing month revenue was 299.3 million. Uh, 
up a little bit uh, compared to 279.9 million for the same four quarters last year and 12 trailing month adjusted EBITDA was 17.5 million. And just a note here, uh, the company will be releasing its second quarter results on Thursday, August 6, uh, which we will certainly certainly be uh, digging into for further analysis. Looking at the company's balance sheet, they have a net debt position of 46.4 million and a net debts to EBITDA multiple of 2.65 times, which is relatively attractive. However, if the company does use its most recent credit facilities to their full potential, uh, this multiple will increase to over 4.2 times, which could be a cause for concern. Uh, We will certainly have to monitor the company's debt going forward to see if it increases drastically. Uh, Now, looking at the company's relative valuation, based on Westport's 12 trailing month adjusted EBITDA of 17.5 million, the company has an enterprise value to adjusted EBITDA multiple of approximately 17 and a half times, which considering headwinds in the commercial sector, along with its need for additional credit facilities, I would say this multiple places the company trading at approximately fair value. Now, Westport Fuel is an innovative company that is providing cleaner carbon fuels, uh, which we certainly see a demand for in the future. Uh, And the industry definitely has some excitement around it right now. But seeing as the company expects further headwinds throughout 2020 and has been increasing its debt to deal with liquidity needs, we will continue to monitor the stock at this time. We are actually coming out with uh, a comprehensive report on, uh, like Ryan said, alternative energy and green energy stocks uh, listed in Canada. So keep your eye for the release uh, of this report, uh, which will likely include an update and further dive into Westport. Um, Now, with this being said, we will continue to monitor the stock uh, and its recent share price performance has made it our star of the week. I mean, Westport's an interesting company, history dating back over 20 years in the public markets. Uh, It's had various times where in bubble scenarios, like in, you know, the tech bubble, it ran up to as high as, you know, $67 or $70 in that range, $69. Um, you know, it trades around 240 now. Uh, you know, in 2012, it was up to $40. Come back, it's come back down. But it, you know, it, this company has just historically not been able to put out anything close to consistent profitability. Um, it can bounce all around, uh, but there's no consistent growth path. In fact, if you look back over the last 20 years, it's done not much but lose shareholder money over that period so it may be you know it's got tailwinds at its back right now in terms of being in the alternative energy cleaner energy market which may be a good thing over the long term we've seen that happen two or three times over the past 20 years um near term there was some excitement it ended badly for shareholders over the long term we'll monitor westport this time to see if uh it's different and of course, you know, get significant amount of debt, lack of profitability, lack of consistency. You know, that is far more important to us to consider at Keystone than whether or not it falls into an exciting space right now. So yeah, and Brennan said they just secured a loan to uh, address you know liquidity issues, right, and to improve liquidity. Um, and yet the share price is up twenty percent as I see today. So there is some activity on the market right now that. Uh, leaves us shaking our head uh, and not saying that that's completely with Westport. There's some companies out there that have zero revenue that have had significant increases as of late that uh, 
really are on speculation rather than the fundamentals. In the end, they will come back to their fundamental valuations. We've seen that in many other hot sectors in the past. Uh, you know, we can go on and on about the cannabis sector, about how uh, we saw sky high prices in some. And now in many of those names, you see them down 70, 80 uh, percent because they never should have been there. So trying to invest in hot trends over the long term is just going to get you with lower lower amount of capital to, de- to deploy in the future when, uh, to buy some good businesses. It's just not a way to invest over the long term and create wealth. So I'd like to uh, finally, again, we'll close off the show today, but remind everybody uh, to get their tickets to that focused webinar on dividend growth stock investing on July 28th. Uh, Aaron's going to talk about, you know, this environment, you've got bonds, GIC, savings accounts paying far less than half a percent in many cases. Um, High quality dividend stocks paying three to seven percent, just your best option for the long term. Why dividend stocks in Canada, dividend growers have outperformed all other forms of stock, uh, all other stocks over the past 33 years. And Aaron's just going to look at the dividend sectors in Canada and the U.S. and uh, where you should be employing your capital and which areas that do not uh, suggest a dividend model model should be used over the long term. So hopefully you can attend that. I encourage you, keep your questions coming into our Your Stock, Our Take segment, our Ask Us Anything segments as well, and we'll endeavor to answer those in a timely manner. Uh, As always, stay safe, and I wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Profitable investing. Thanks, everyone.